you have an end goal, you will work towards it if you're really dedicated. A lot of people say to put in 100%, but I feel like you need to put in 500% because if you put in 100%, you're kind of level with all the other people that are trying to get to their goal. So you really have to stand out, work as hard as you can, and you can accomplish anything. Welcome to the Upflip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman, and my guest today is Dylan Capshaw, the 16-year-old founder and owner of Stemistry Coffee and Flower Bar. He first made waves during COVID when his nonprofit, For the Frontline, earned him Nickelodeon's Kid of the Year Award. It wasn't long after that, he started an online flower business, Garden Miss, at only 14 years old. That business was so successful, it financed his brick-and-mortar expansion. Today, I'm sitting down with Dylan to find out how he's built his passion for flowers and coffee into a thriving business. We'll talk about the unique challenges faced by young entrepreneurs, how he developed the concept and systems for his business, and how he engages with customers to build Stemistry's following so quickly. It's advice business owners of any age will want to hear. Let's talk to Dylan. Dylan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Your story is incredible. You're so young. Most people twice your age haven't ever taken the risk of diving into starting a business. When did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and why this business niche? Yeah. I mean, honestly, as far back as I can remember, I've been starting little businesses, always trying to make money out of different unique ideas. My first business technically was in fifth grade. I was reselling these little fidget toys when they were super popular at that time. And then since then, it's just been kind of growing and expanding. But I always just derive pleasure and joy from starting little businesses. Incredible. Incredible. As we mentioned up top, you are the Nickelodeon Kid of the Year for your organization for the Frontline. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Can you tell us about that organization and how that kind of prepared you for what you're doing business-wise now? Absolutely, yeah. For the Frontline was my first business that really took off. Right when COVID started, I was online, so I was home from school and had a lot of time on my hands, and I really wanted to help out with all the crises that were going on around the world then. So I had 3D printers at my house, and I created a mask template where I could 3D print these face masks and face shields, and I started shipping those for free all around the country to people who just signed up on our website. So I came up with a little local team, and we were creating them, assembling, shipping. It ended up being a nonprofit profit 501c3. So I had to fill out all that paperwork. And it taught me a lot about running a business and what it really took, you know, the grind. That's amazing. And I have to say that I've interviewed a lot of really cool people on this show. The fact that I'm interviewing a Nickelodeon Kid of the Year, that might be the coolest award that anyone's (laughs) received that I've talked to. So congratulations on that. Thank you. What's the biggest challenge to being a teenage entrepreneur and what advice might you offer to other young business owners or potential young business owners to overcome that challenge? Yeah. I mean, being a teenage entrepreneur absolutely comes with its set of struggles. When I first started interviewing employees and having to go through the whole hiring process, I would have people just walk in and walk out thinking it was a joke, not taking me seriously. People who were really good, but then once I hired them, thought they could just walk all over me or or they could run the business. So I would say my biggest piece of advice is just having confidence and really believing in yourself. Because if you are young, you will be taken advantage of or walked all over and you just need to be strict and stern and you know make it known that what you say goes. Your current business empire started as an online flower shop. Can you talk about getting that off the ground? What were those initial steps that you took to get started there? Yeah. So this was my first business where I was really starting to make money. I also started this in COVID 2020. So I was home from school online and I just kind of had an idea where I started cutting my landscaping, literally just trees in my backyard and marketing it in unique ways. So I was saying like aromatherapy or hang this in your shower. They were like citrus branches, eucalyptus, things like that. So I started an Etsy shop. I posted some products. I created some ads and surprisingly, it kind of took off. I got my first order the week I started it and they just kept growing and growing and it was like a snowball 
snowball effect. I would start adding more products and eventually I just kind of clipped my yard dry. But it was a lot of work getting it off the ground at first. But once I kind of got a routine down, it became way easier. It sounds like most of the startup costs there were in time and effort as opposed to actual monetary investments. But what were kind of some of those initial costs? Is it the kind of business that you think people can start with absolutely no startup cash? And how long did it take you to kind of recoup those investments? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, landscaping is obviously free for me. So I really just started with about $100 in my pocket just for advertising. And then once I put that 100 in, I started getting orders. I didn't really have to pay rent or employees. So all that money was profit besides my small amount for shipping fees. You know, USPS boxes were free. So I would reinvest all of that and continue raising my ad budget. And that helped me really gain traction. But I would just say, I mean, with $100 just to get some ads up, you can really easily get this off the ground. And now you've moved into a brick and mortar location. I guess the first question is, what kind of led you to make that decision? Yeah. So honestly, flowers are not necessarily my passion. It was more of a company I started that ended up growing into this online empire. So I wanted to expand and open up a store, but also tie in my passion, which has always been coffee. So I thought coffee and flowers, it's unique. I could create a really cool brand out of this. And I decided that I wanted to find a brick and mortar building and get that off the ground. Brick and mortar usually, in my experience, costs a little bit more than $100. So yes, what did those startup costs look like to get yourself up and running? Yeah. So by the time I opened my brick and mortar store, I had been operating my online business for about two years. And I saved up every single penny that I earned while creating that online business. So I put in about $50,000 getting the store up and running. So legal fees, equipment, build out furniture, it came out to about 50 grand. And you mentioned the concept itself of flower shopping and cafe being a bit unique. What makes Stemistry a unique business and how is that giving you a competitive advantage? Yeah, I mean, we have coffee shops on every corner near me. They are everywhere. And a lot of them are mom and pop. We do have all the big chains, but I really knew that if I was going to open a coffee shop, it would have to be unique. So that flower aspect doesn't really exist. So tying in the flowers where we're both a flower shop and a coffee shop gave us that competitive edge. I also created the whole menu myself. So I was trying to tie in flowers with our coffee drinks. So I call it our latte lab. And I was really trying to make unique drinks that you couldn't find anywhere else. So we could just be set apart from the competition. Quick reminder for our listeners that if you are enjoying what you're hearing on this episode and want to support the Upflip podcast, we invite you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Help us grow our audience and share these incredible insights with more listeners. Now, you know, you mentioned having the coffee shops on every corner, not really having the flower element. Did you do any other kind of market research to validate the idea before you dove in? Yeah, honestly, I created the concept. I had the idea and nothing was going to stop me at that point because I really wanted to get this up and running. So I didn't do much market research. I knew I'd have to be competitive. I knew I was going to have to get creative because of the amount of competition, both in coffee shops and flower shops. But I didn't really do the research that I probably should have trying to make sure that it would be a success. If you could go back, knowing what you know now to go back, what kind of research might you suggest to yourself that you should have done? Absolutely. I definitely would have run comps for the area. I'm really happy with the space that I chose, but we are within a a mile radius of three other coffee shops, four other flower shops. So we're definitely in a super competitive area, which going back, I don't think I would have changed because I enjoy the competition and I do think it's fun having them. But it would have been nice knowing that going in and we could have gotten a little more creative with our marketing and advertising right off the bat. I'm curious then, what did lead you to choose the location that you chose? 
when I found this location, it's in this little kind of strip mall. So I like that I wasn't the hook. You know, I had other people there generating traffic. So even if I wasn't getting crazy competitive at the time with advertising, I'd at least have people in the plaza. It's not like I was the only business having to pull everybody out myself. It was also kind of an equal distance from my house and my school. So I knew it'd be easy to be there early in the mornings or late at night because obviously I've had some long days there. And I really enjoy that we have a lot of street coverage. We're close by to a lot of walking paths. So it's a good area in the sense that we get a lot of brand advertisement and recognition just from having our sign so out in the open. How long have you been open? We have been open since March. So we're coming up on a year. What are the average monthly revenues looking like? Yeah, so we're bringing in about 30000 a month, and that's both with our in-person sales and our online sales. How does that break down to profit? What are your margins? So we're turning about a $10,000 profit right now a month. Incredible. And how does that break down between like flower arrangements versus coffee and drinks? You know, are you finding that you're primarily a coffee shop or primarily a flower shop that also has coffee? Right. So going in, I was thinking that we were going to be a coffee shop with flowers. But honestly, for the first couple of months, we were 50-50. Now that we've had some more time to really look at our sales, we're about 60% coffee, 40% flowers. But the flower sales really add up quickly because you have a $3 cup of coffee versus a $200 arrangement. So obviously they can add up fast. How did you develop the coffee shop menu? When I was 16, I was just starting to drink coffee. And so I don't know that I could have had the first idea of what should be on a coffee shop menu. So how did you develop that menu? When I turned 13 for Christmas, I asked for an espresso machine. It was all I wanted for my parents. So my one condition was you can have the espresso machine, but you're not allowed to drink anything you make because they didn't want me having caffeine that young. So I definitely had some time to practice creating drinks and I loved being creative and making drinks that you couldn't really find anywhere else. And having the flowers going into this business, I knew it was a perfect opportunity to create some florally drinks. So our all-time bestseller is our rose latte, where we infuse rose extract into a latte. I'm really big on presentation, so we do all kinds of toppings. But I mean, a few months leading up to our opening, it was just constant trial and error. Me sitting in that empty store with the espresso machine, kind of creating all these drinks and seeing what tasted good and what didn't. You mentioned at the brick and mortar, you were happy that you weren't the hook there. So I want to talk to you a little bit about attracting customers. Let's start with the online store. What were and have been your most productive strategies for attracting customers to the online storefronts? So online, I would say advertising is obviously the biggest key and you really have to be creative. So when I was first creating ads, I was thinking, what wouldn't I do? And then I would kind of do whatever I didn't want to do because I knew I had to think outside of the box. I mean, there are a lot of online flower shops. So I needed an ad that when people saw that, they would click mine over someone else is obviously. So steadily increasing my daily ad spend helped a lot as I was starting to make more money. That way I wasn't really investing too much out of pocket and going into debt, but definitely ads were the biggest thing to get us started. And then organic growth as well, asking for reviews just in a kind way. If you enjoy the product, leave a review because that really helps a lot. And then even influencers just shipping out. If we had some new flowers come in, shipping them out to some YouTubers or Instagrammers, and then they post the flowers and tag us, that would always help a lot as well. And how did that strategy shift when you added the brick and mortar location? Yeah. So once I added the brick and mortar, it was a whole new realm. So I would say that once I got that up, I tried a lot to get on local news. A lot of people kind of overlook local television and they focus more just online on social media. But I would try to find something going on in the news and then kind of match that. So for example, if teachers were going on strike and the news was covering teachers on strike, I would offer free coffee for teachers and then the news would kind of get a two for one story. So I'd almost get a guaranteed hook that they'd come in and cover my store. And I'm also kind of helping a cause. So really engaging engaging with local media and also local influencers. That was a huge help. It sounds like social media has obviously been very important in building out the brand and building out the businesses. So help us understand your social strategy. What should people be doing, especially if they're looking in the kind of like flower or coffee space? 
I think, like I said, the biggest thing is just getting your name out there. So having the influencers come in, we have a lot of travel pages in Arizona. So having those travel pages come in and say, this is a great date spot, or this is the newest coffee shop you should check out would help so much. We had one TikTok that went viral. And for two weeks, I had to have all my employees there from open to close. We would have a line out the door and every single person that was there said, I'm here from TikTok. So social media is just a massive help if you can utilize it properly, but also engaging with the local community. So going to other businesses and handing out business cards and flyers, getting your name out there. We do partnerships with all kinds of other companies around us. That way we can all engage and kind of form a little neighborhood of businesses and all support each other. How much of your advertising in a typical month would you say is broken down between stuff that you are paying for, whether that's, you know, a Google search, digital ads in that realm or boosted social posts versus stuff that you're paying for with hustle? Yeah. So I would say I spend about $6,000 a month in advertising. The majority of that goes towards advertising our online store, because if we can get orders out in our online store, it's just like our awesome backbone that really keeps us going. And then the second biggest expense is getting influencers out. Sometimes they do charge a fee. Even if they don't, we normally supply free food or drinks. That way we could get that posted. So those add up quickly as well. So this is going to bring us to a section of the show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These questions come from our YouTube community. Those of you listening out there, you can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. So Dylan, we're going to try and get through about five questions in maybe 75 seconds here. Okay. Here we go. Euros Lukovic is asking how you have overcome the fear of starting your own business considering your age. Yeah, it was definitely a huge fear starting off, a major struggle, but believing in yourself and having a goal you're set on will really make you unstoppable. You just don't give up and keep a clear sight. Your previous businesses were funding future businesses through savings. So I'm curious what you're doing with your profits now. Honestly, up to this point, I invest 100% of what I make back into my businesses, current and future. So it's all at this time going towards my second location for STEMistry. What's the worst part about being an entrepreneur? The worst part would be having very little free time. You know, you have early mornings, 4am starts, and then an early bedtime, I'd say around 8.30. So no time. What's the best part? Best part is controlling your own schedule and having the freedom of doing what you want and when you want it. What's the biggest purchase you've ever made? So I'm currently in the process of purchasing an $80,000 coffee roaster, which will top everything else. Wow. That is going to do it for our fan blitz questions. Again, this comes from the YouTube community. So go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. When you opened the brick and mortar, you had a soft open about two weeks before the big grand opening. What were the benefits of that approach and why did you decide to go that route as opposed to just throwing the doors open and being grand opened right away? Right. When I first opened, honestly, I was just getting started on the shop and we were doing all the construction. And my big goal was having a grand opening as soon as I could have it and as big as I could have it. I just wanted a big party ASAP. But we ended up finishing our work a little earlier than the grand opening date I sent. So the the soft opening was unintentional. I just kind of reached out to my staff and said, you know what, we're ready to open. So let's open a little early. And those two weeks were absolutely crucial. I'll never open another business without doing a soft opening first because we were able to work out all the kinks, really get a good routine down for everybody and figure out a lot more than we would have if we had just opened day of with a grand opening. Let's talk about some of those routines. What routines and systems are you using to kind of manage the day-to-day in the shop? Yeah, I think routines are the best thing you could do for a coffee shop or flower shop or really any business. So we have all kinds of routines in place. We have our opening routines, our midday, our closing. We have routines for the flowers, for the coffee, and it really just helps break everything down. If we have a new hire come in and they're starting day one and they're a little confused, it's helpful to have a wall where we have a routine for exactly what they need to be doing that kind of breaks down each aspect of it. So it helps with consistency and getting everything done. 
what have been some of the unexpected roadblocks that have come up in the business so far and how did you overcome them? Yeah, approvals are always a nightmare. So, you know, getting our kitchen up and running in the Scottsdale location when we were first opening, it was just one thing after another. The health department would constantly want something different or something moved or we'd get a huge piece of equipment and that had to be modified. So having a good team in place and contacts is really important. I hired a restaurant consultant who had contacts with the health department so we could kind of expedite things because they could easily take forever. But also utilizing YouTube. I mean, I just, you can look up, how do you build a commercial kitchen and everything you need is right there. So rather than doing all the guesswork, it's kind of easy to follow an exact plan and know what you're doing so you can get it done as quickly as possible in that case. Let's talk about the team. You mentioned how important it is to have a good team. How many employees and members of the team are there currently? Yeah, we currently have seven employees and I have three contract workers. So people who are just kind of there when we need them. And how do you find and hire high quality staff? I use Indeed for my hiring, which has been amazing. I've kind of tried LinkedIn out a little bit. I wasn't as big of a fan as I am with Indeed. They make it really easy. So we keep listings up on there. And honestly, hiring is always a nightmare, but it does make it easier for me. And what's your current biggest business-related headache and how are you getting through it? My biggest headache at the moment is just staying staffed. Unfortunately, with a coffee shop, the turnover rate is so high because we get a lot of college kids in there who do a great job, but they're not really looking for a long-term job. So we had our manager walk out a couple months ago and then a barista walk out. So whenever I don't get that two-week notice, if somebody is looking to leave, it's a nightmare just having to close because then we lose our regulars. So staying on top of just having a consistent opening and closing schedule is constantly a struggle. With that high turnover, talk to me about the training process. How are you getting people trained and up to speed quickly and potentially with some frequency as the turnover is high? I think having a good manager in place is absolutely key as well as the routines. If we have a manager, I can have somebody there to do consistent training with each employee. So I know everybody's giving out the same workload because serving coffee drinks, it's very important to stay consistent. You don't want someone to come and enjoy a drink once and then hate it the next time. And also those routines, having everything laid out so a brand new employee could start and know exactly what to do is vital. Talk to me about sourcing for the cafe. We'll start with the cafe. So with the coffee and food, how do you go about finding those suppliers? And how did you test different suppliers to make your ultimate choice? Luckily, it was pretty easy for me to find a roaster I liked because a roaster is the most important part of having a coffee shop if you're outsourcing your roasting. The first espresso machine I got, I used this bean called Ubora. So they're based out of Georgia. They're veteran owned and they've always been crazy supportive since they're such a small company. So they'd reach out. And this is back when I was just a little kid with an espresso machine. So opening my coffee shop, I knew I wanted to continue supporting them because they make amazing coffee and they have such a wonderful team in place. So I stuck with Ubora. Food was extremely difficult for me because I knew I wanted to serve breakfast and lunch. I didn't have room to prepare it in-house, so I didn't really know what to do. But after a couple months of research, I found a company called Seattle's Best and they create food and ship it out across the country. So it's super easy for us to heat up in the back and then serve. And then how about the flowers? Where are you getting the flowers? I assume you're not just going in your backyard anymore and telling <laughs> what you got. Yeah, no, I cut all that dry. At this point, I have three suppliers in Arizona. We got flowers, Arizona Floral, and AFX. So we outsource all of that. We have deliveries every day of the week. And what I love about our floral distributors is they get the highest quality flowers. They ship straight from Ecuador, wherever they're growing. So we get them. They still have dirt on the stems. You know, they're crazy fresh and great quality. What are the advantages of that approach, both for you as a business and ultimately for your customers? The flowers are healthier. They last longer. They're better quality. And having so many flower shops near us, we really have to stand out from competition. So I do spend more on my flowers and I sell them for less than the other flower shots do, but people really enjoy that and they come back to buy more since we're doing it that way. You also offer a plant subscription box, which is one of your unique offerings. One, how did you come up with that idea and how many of those are you selling in a month? What are the business advantages of a 
monthly subscription? A monthly subscription model is really great because it's just kind of guaranteed revenue that we get each month. People honestly forget. I think that they're signed up sometimes and they get the box in the mail. And it's always like a fun surprise for them, keeping our brand fresh in their mind. We have about 30 active subscriptions at the moment. So we're not crazy big on that, but they do add up and people sign up and they'll sign up for three months because they get a better deal, for example. And it's just guaranteed revenue for those three months. And it really helps. Like I said, our brand is always fresh in their mind. So if they are thinking for flowers outside of that subscription delivery date, they know a flower shop that they could go to. What systems or tools are you using to manage the finances for the business? And what particular metrics are you always making sure that you're keeping track of? Yeah. So I use Square for our point of sales, which tracks everything about our finances. So I really, really like Square. I'm always keeping an eye on payroll because that sneaks up on me all the time. I also use QuickBooks Online. It links seamlessly with Square. So it's really easy to keep track of all my expenses, all my earnings, forecasts for future earnings and expenses. And then I have an excellent accountant, which I think is vital to have who stays on top of all my bookkeeping. I'm fairly deep into this interview and I'm sure some listeners are like, is he ever going to ask him this question? How does school factor into all of this? Yeah, school is like my biggest enemy that's always there. Um, obviously, I'm in, I'm a junior in high school, so I have school eight to three every day, plus homework and all those extracurriculars. So it's tough kind of having a double life where I'm a high school student and then I'm out managing my team. But I have early mornings. I'm there for at least an hour every morning before school and I'm there after school. And while I'm at school, I try to spend as little time as I can working on schoolwork and instead talking to my team and managing online orders, whatever I can do from my computer. How did you develop the time management skills to be able to handle that without becoming intensely overwhelmed? Yeah, having the online store really helped because it kind of got me acclimated as it slowly grew. But with that store, I would come home and have 100 new orders after school and I would sit in my garage and be boxing until 11 o'clock at night. And it really helped me kind of focus long term. I knew I wanted to have a brick and mortar. I knew I had to get these orders out and save up money. So it helped me get a really good grasp on time management. And then opening the store, I have employees to help delegate that shipping work to. So it's honestly not much more work than I was doing online since I have a team in place to help me out. And when you have questions about the business or just business ownership in general, where do you turn? Do you have a mentor or how do you work through those issues? Yeah, a few months in to running Stemistry, I had an employee who was giving me a lot of trouble and I really, YouTube wasn't doing the trick anymore. So I needed some professional help. So I found a local business consultant and I signed on with her. And honestly, it is the biggest help having somebody you can call or text who helps other businesses that kind of always has the right answer. So my business consultant helps with any questions as far as running the team goes. She helped get some of our routines in place, even staffing. So I think having somebody there like a right-hand man to kind of get those things off your mind and delegate some work to is really nice and important. Is that a person you maybe wish you had found earlier in the process? Or do you think that it is something that someone should seek out when they determine that they really need it? I mean, I think either way, if someone really needs help, it's definitely time to take a consultant on if you can afford that expense. But honestly, the earlier I could have gotten them on, the better. I'm sure if I had somebody there to kind of help me out while I was first hiring, it would have been way less of a headache. And I probably would have gotten some better systems in place right off the bat rather than waiting a few months. What's the ultimate goal for Stemistry? Stemistry has been awesome. I mean, it's been the best project since I opened it. So I really want to keep expanding. I'd love to continue growing online. We've shipped to all 50 states. We've shipped to eight different countries. I love that aspect of it. So eventually I'd love to get a warehouse, ship out flowers, roast our own coffee. But for now, expanding is is my biggest goal. And what are you doing now to make sure you're building towards that goal every day? 
Yeah. I mean, every day I, I keep track of every single number because um, everything is super important. All of our inventory adds up, all of our expenses add up, but we're opening our second location in downtown Phoenix right now, which I'm working really hard towards right now. And honestly, just not losing sight of that end goal is super important because it can get tough sometimes. And what's your number one advice for other young entrepreneurs? I would definitely say to start young. I mean, if you have a goal or a passion or a dream to be an entrepreneur, have your own business, there's no reason to wait. It can seem intimidating, but just having a phone at your fingertips has so many resources on it. So I would say why wait and get started now. If you could pick the one thing that people take from this interview, what would it be? Definitely to keep pushing through. Like I said, if you have an end goal, you will work towards it if you're really dedicated. A lot of people say to put in 100%, but I feel like you need to put in 500% because if you put in 100%, you're kind of level with all the other people that are trying to get to their goal. So you really have to stand out, work as hard as you can, and you can accomplish anything. What's your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book would probably be How to Talk to Anyone. It's by Leo Lowndes. It's a really good book to kind of break boundaries between talking to adults, in my opinion, that I'm hiring. I have some parents on my team, so it helps me communicate with them if I'm having to reprimand somebody or or even just a friendly conversation that might be kind of awkward. Dylan, where can people learn more about you and STEMistry? Yeah, people can learn more about me on dylancapshaw.com and about STEMistry on STEMistry.com. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip Podcast. A reminder to our listeners that you can find more advice on how to start a business the right way on the Upflip Hub. There you can also find links to past podcast episodes over to the YouTube channel where we got other great videos as well as some of the courses that we now offer over on Upflip's website. Dylan Capshaw of STEMistry and For the Frontline, former Nickelodeon Kid of the Year. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. 